This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, it's a debate that Calgary's been having literally for decades, but perhaps a debate that needs to be revisited. Ward 11's Jeremy Farkas, to his credit, has suggested that City Council retackle the issue of water fluoridation. Now, there have been a number of plebiscites over the years. The last time a plebiscite was held, the vote was in favor of water fluoridation. So you could argue there, there's a democratic mandate for it being there. There's a democratic mandate, at least for city council, revisiting the issue. Uh, because the decision in 2011 to remove fluoride from the drinking water did go against the mandate from the previous plebiscite. So Councillor Farkas this week has asked the administration uh, for an update, wants to gather more on the history and the cost of water fluoridation, but suggests that maybe it's something that could be posed to voters, uh, once again, as a plebiscite question in the 2021 civic election. So it would be 10 years of no fluoridation. Uh, Just recently, Windsor, Ontario... Uh, Much like Calgary took fluoride out of the water, a recent vote in Windsor, Ontario, though, has reintroduced it. And, of course, it remains in the water in a number of other cities. What have been the consequences of Calgary taking it out of the water? Is it something that city council needs to revisit? Does another plebiscite make sense? Uh, Well, someone who's followed this debate and this issue very closely, uh, Juliette Guichon is a bioethicist at the University of Calgary and assistant professor of ethics and law at the Cummings School of Medicine at the UFC. Uh, Dr. Guichon, thanks for joining us here. Welcome back to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Uh, I mean, is is it good news, uh, do you think, then, that this uh, issue is back on the agenda at at City Hall? Yes, it's great news. It's great news. Um, But unfortunately... Mr. Farkas's proposal doesn't go far enough. I don't think we should have to wait three more years, uh, given that uh, Calgarians voted in favor in two plebiscites, one in 1989 and a second one in 1998. So we've had two plebiscites in favor of fluoridation. So tens of thousands of Calgarians voted in favor, and 10 city councillors took it out. So I agree that it's anti-democratic, and that ought to be fixable by the vote of eight city councillors. That would be in keeping with the mandate, yeah. So the right, decision, and that could yeah. happen tomorrow. I mean, there, there's no, there's no um, legal obstacle uh, for, uh, uh, that would prevent city councillors from returning our fluoridation to us. I mean, as you know, I mean, there, there are certainly opponents of fluoridation. I, I don't think the decision in 2011 was based on any of that. I think there were, were concerns at the time about the cost uh, of of continuing to do so and some upgrades that would be necessary. But uh, that doesn't factor in the, you know, the cost benefit of having fluoridation in place. How do we assess those financial questions? Um, well, there there are many studies of, of cost benefit analyses of fluoridation, and so they they look at for every dollar spent on fluoridation, whether it's operating costs or, and so both operating and capital equipment, what does it yield in term, ter, 
terms of benefit. And by benefit, they're not they're not calculating pain or suffering. They're just looking at dec- uh, the loss of out of pocket payment for dental care. And so the ranges depend upon the size of the population. So the bigger the population, the more likely, the, the greater the benefit because the fluoridation is going to more people. Um, but those cost-benefit analyses have, that I've read have, go up to $139.78. So for every dollar spent, there's almost $140 in benefit in one study. Another study said it was $68, but it's always great. In all the studies, it's great. So $1 yields huge benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you, you hear the arguments uh, that there are different ways of, of providing fluoride to people. There's naturally occurring fluoride in Calgary's drinking water anyway. Uh, that you know, The argument basically that we don't need to do it this way. There are other ways of addressing the problem. What, what do you say to that? Well, it's a, it's a type of thinking, I think, that comes up from the United States, which has a, is a country that has sort of as its point of departure the interests of the individual. And that perhaps comes from their uh, revolutionary past. Canada has has an evolutionary past. We've grown, uh, and in fact, uh, you know, one of our mottos is peace, order, and good government. So our sort of founding ethic has to do with the community, looking after the community. And um, population health measures benefit the population. And targeted measures are tend to be much more expensive and don't necessarily reach all the people that... This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. I mean, we all need fluoridation. All of us benefit. None of us is harmed. Um, and uh, you know, I just don't understand. I think it's an ideology. Right. But, I mean, just to be clear, most most major American cities fluoridate their water. Yes, yeah. absolutely. 79% of the United States is fluoridated. Uh, the, the concerns that are raised, I mean, at, at a certain level, if, if the levels of fluoride would be high enough, uh, you know, there, there is a level at which it could potentially be harmful. But the level at which we can get some measurable health benefit is obviously far removed from that. So are, are there any legitimate concerns about negative impacts from this? No. So there, there are new, fluoridation is, is the most studied public health intervention. There is no evidence of harm at 4.0 parts per million and below. What is being proposed here is um, fluoridation at 0.7, so less than one. Now, I can imagine that some listeners might say, but what about dental fluorosis? So there is, sometimes there's seen mild or white flecks on the teeth, and those are usually detectable only by the dentist. They don't affect the form or the function of the tooth, and they are evidence that it's a strong tooth. So it's not, it's not a harm, it's, it's a benign effect. And that's the only thing, the only thing that is seen, apart from a strong decrease in, in rates of dental decay, when fluoride is at 4.0 parts per million and below. So again, what, is, what would happen is it would be at less than one part per million. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a study a couple of years ago that, that looked at the impact of this and comparing Edmonton and Calgary. Uh, the, we, we do have, I mean, since Calgary made this decision, we have a growing amount of evidence about 
the negative impacts of taking fluoridation now? What, what have we learned so far? Well, we learned that, that in just two years post-fluoridation cessation, so two years after 2011, um, dental decay in primary tooth surfaces increased by 146%. So these, these are grade two children who were looked at in all uh, quadrants of the city, all socioeconomic brackets. There was a 146% increase in decay. That's pretty significant, isn't it? I thought so. Right. And, Continue to think yeah. so. Well, and, you know, we, we, maybe because our healthcare system and, and dental health are separate, maybe we don't think of this as a public health issue. But do we need to look at it that way? Well, um, dental infection does affect our public health system. People show up that um, rates of, of emergency department visits are up in all age categories except for, for one. Um, so we've seen more people visiting the emergency department because they have pain. Um, and sometimes they don't know that it's related. It's, it may present as headache, but in fact, it's dental pain. And all that the healthcare system can do is treat the infection and the pain, but it can't deal with the actual decay because... You know, as as you say, that we don't have a publicly funded healthcare system. Although we do provide rudiment, you know, basic dental care to people whose incomes fall below, I think it's it's, it's a low amount. So uh, people in poverty can access a dentist. Well, I mean, yeah, in that sense, Calgary's kind of become a cautionary tale to other cities uh, about uh, about abandoning this. Uh, but you know, Calgary kind of stands out in in a way, then, in a, not a good way, in in going against uh, the evidence on this. So, I mean. It, and, and that is surprising because Calgary's a highly educated city, city, and I remember hearing that we had more PhDs per capita than than other Canadian cities. And certainly in our um, engineering and oil and gas sector, we have a highly educated population, which is evidence driven. So I, it, it it is hard to justify that this happened to a city like Calgary. Well, we'll see what comes of all of this. Uh, as you say, maybe uh, plebiscite in 2021 isn't the best solution, but at least it would maybe bring the issue back to the forefront. It would. And, and may I say that City Council ought to be encouraged um, to accept when they're, they're, they're seeking information about uh, risks and benefits of fluoridation. They really ought to listen to experts, not to the average person, because they would not accept the advice of the average person when they were going to build a bridge. Uh, they would ex- accept it only from building, bridge, you know, engineers who build bridges, civil engineering engineers. And likewise, they should accept evidence only from people who have the five-year postgraduate training in public health and preventive medicine. Those are the individuals who are qualified to advise elected officials about population health measures. All right. Well, we'll see what comes of all of this. Uh, Juliet, appreciate your insight. Thanks for making some time for us here today. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Juliet Guishon of the University of Calgary, bioethicist, uh, coming School of Medicine. Uh, text here from Jim says, bike lanes are more important than fluoride in kids' teeth in this town. Um, well, <laughs> I guess you could, you could reasonably make that argument, uh, given decisions that have been made in recent years. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.